Valhalla, I am coming on. We sweep with threshing ore. Who who can write that but only Led Zeppelin? Oh my goodness gracious me. With us is Ronya in West Auckland. Kia ora, Ronya. How about the song, eh? What does it do to you when you hear it? Oh, well... <laughs> I've been known to get my Robert Plant on um, from time to time, but usually I'm only allowed when nobody else is home. <laughs> Isn't it just epic? Yeah, it is. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that, I think. And, um, I mean, obviously, John Bonham being one of the best drummers ever. A hundred percent. Do our wonderful panel agree on Led Zeppelin, Julie? Uh, of course, Wallace, yes. Um, love Led Zeppelin and um, I have a uncle about three marriage in England who went to school with Robert Plant and what? when he sees him in the pub he talks about Bob Plant. It was makes me smile. Good grief, Joy Mark. <laughs> well, you know what? It's a funny thing. I am only a very, very recent convert to Led Zeppelin. I only started listening to them. I mean, I knew who they are, obviously. But about a month ago, I um, I read an article that somebody had commented how great they were. I thought, oh, I've never actually listened. So I downloaded uh, a playlist on my on my on my phone on my app, and um, yeah, they're really good. Love them. Fantastic, aren't they, Ronya? Uh, are you an old school fan? Been listening for a while. Oh, I guess um, yeah, I guess I am. But I just generally love music that has yeah. got soul, and Led Zeppelin's got plenty of that. I'd say. Good on you, Ronnie. Hey, thanks for joining us on the panel this no, afternoon. Thanks, Wonderful. There you go. Isn't it fantastic? Immigrant song, Led Zeppelin. A lot of feedback about whether uh, I was in the right or in the wrong by putting my bounty bar, Taste of Paradise, in a stranger's uh, rubbish bin. Um, Wallace, on Fair Go recently, they asked proper people who know, okay, and it's illegal. It can't, it can't be illegal. That's just rubbish. Uh, Frank in Upper House says, Wallace, I often pick up plastic rubbish and put it in any available bin. If anyone complains, sure, I'll dump it outside their gate on the footpath. I wonder if that would make them happy. Um, uh, Wallace, um, I'm with you. I place to wrap it in the bin, but it is illegal. I heard on the news to use a bin not yours, really. I clean the surrounding patch of my street every Monday. You're on the panel on RNZ National. We have Julie Woods and Mark Knopf Thomas this afternoon. Wonderful to have a company. We're ending the show with uh, just a couple of acknowledgements about a special someone or something in your life. That's your pet, National Pet Day. Text me. 2101 email the panel at rnz.co.nz. To this, responding to a written parliamentary question by MP Chris Bailey, Education Minister Jan Tanetti reported that just 48.5% of students attained university entrance last year. Furthermore, just 643 gained NCEA Level 1. In her response, these numbers were compared to 2017 and showed a significant drop in achievement levels. For example, the pass rate for NCEA Level 1 has dropped 10.7% in the past five years. With us is Post-Primary Teachers Association Acting President Chris Abercrombie. Chris, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Just under half of students attained UE. I can recall how important UE was to me. That's quite a statistic, isn't it? 
it is a quasi statistic, but I think it needs to be couched with not every student has that as their goal. Not everyone wants to go to university. So we definitely, it is a concern, but it needs to be put into a wider context. In the sense that you're not so concerned about it? No, no, definitely, definitely concerned about it because we want to make sure students are reaching the goals that they have, but not every student's goal is to go to university. What are some of the key reasons that could have caused the decrease in pass rates and uh, UE rates? Well, there has been um, quite a num- uh, uh, quite a huge amount of disruption for the last three years. So if you think of our Level 3 students this year, Year 13s, uh, they've had nothing but COVID disruption in their NCA. So there's been a, a huge amount of disruption in their um, NCA time. There's been... Uh, and that's, that's had a significant impact on it. So um, just before, as you're saying, not everyone wants to go to university, of course. Um, are many students today less concerned with university? Are there an abundance of other pathways? Well, there's definitely been an increase in other pathways, but the reality is for a lot of students, university is is too expensive. It's unaffordable for them. And so for some students, it's not even a a goal because they can't afford it. Um, So, you know, but there is a a number of pathways. There's been a significant increase in the number of pathways for students outside of school. Uh, Right. Uh, Julie, what's your questions or thoughts on this? I'm just um, thinking about in my day when there was school certificate and 50% of the school population failed um, and would uh, suffer the stigma of having to repeat. And I'm just grateful for NCEA that it doesn't do that um, to students nowadays. But I do worry about those students who are left behind and, you know, seem to be disengaged. It seems to be a system... Uh, that is one size fits all, and I don't think it does fit all. Chris? Um, well, there's definitely um, some there's an issue with the NCA. That's why the NCA change is happening, to try and um, uh, fix some of those issues that exist. Um, but one of the biggest issues is that we need to make sure we've got a teaching workforce that can, enough of a teaching workforce to implement these changes. Mark Noth-Thomas. Mm, interesting. Hi, Chris. Um is there any sort of data regarding the correlation between the pass rates for UE or NCEA and truancy rates at a school individual school level? Uh, I don't know about an individual school level, but as, as there's data that says if you're not at school, you, it's harder to achieve. So if you've got a higher level of truancy, it's harder for you to achieve, obviously. So, um, but I don't know if there's data at a school level. Yeah. So I'm just sort of tying a few things together and wondering about, you know, uh, there's been a bit of a spate of youth crime over the last few years. And so youth crime, truancy and failing in exams may all sort of have some great correlation at a macro level. I mean, it could do. I mean, I don't, I don't, I've never, I haven't seen the data about that. But, you know, truancy is if you're not at school, you can't you can't achieve. And so that's why it's so important that kids try to spend as much time as they can in school. Yeah. So is it the right time then for some changes to NCEA, Chris? Absolutely, it's the right time for changes to NCEA. And, and you know, PBDA supports in principle the changes that are happening. But we support the changes being done and being done properly. And at the moment, you know, we've got, we've had significant disruption, not only through COVID, but natural events. We've, uh, we've got a teaching workforce that is tired, that is understaffed. And so we want these changes to be effective and, and, and do the right thing. But 
we don't have the workforce to do it at the moment. Yeah, we've covered that a fair bit, actually, Chris, on the panel those earlier. Some of the, uh, in terms of the spate of changes, that's the the rapidity and the the number of changes. Uh, I think one teacher said, "Look, four changes will be a lot, but we've got up to about twenty four or twenty five changes to go through. It's massive." Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's the we've got the curriculum changes, we've got the Aotearoa New Zealand history changes, we've got the NCA changes, literacy, numeracy, Matalanga Māori. Um, we've got a huge amount of changes, and all of them good changes, but it's all happening at once. Very good, Chris. Thank you. That's Chris Abercrombie there, the Post-Primary Teachers Association Acting President. Someone says, the saddest bit for me is university out of reach because of cost. Indeed. Uh, just you bring back memories, actually, uh, Julie, of, uh, you know, doing your, what, what was it, sixth form, your year we, and um, pretty brutal, eh? You know, um, 50% uh, passed, failed, and if you didn't pass, because you, you'd go on to do the exams, very few went on to do that, and if you failed that, you'd have to do the year again. Yeah, well, it was a terrible thing, and I remember being in the a school hall at Kaikarai Valley High School, Wallace, and what was it, 1982, and all the sixth formers got an envelope and we had to open it. And if you passed, yes, you, right. you walked out, you got to walk out the hall. So everybody else was who didn't was oh, left that's behind. Brutal. Yep, that I was, can, it was I, awful. I can remember the very, very day Nelson College opening that envelope. It was absolutely brutal. Um, gosh. Memories. Uh, 15 away from five. Bernie says, I was a motorbike courier in London for four years in the early 90s. Robert Plant gave a mate of mine a five-pound tip, and we really got tips. A bit of um, uh, feedback coming through on Led Zeppelin. Seems like a uh, fairly nice sky. And some wonderful pet responses. Diana says, after my husband died suddenly last year, I got a kitten who has helped fill the empty void. Someone to cuddle. This on National Pet Day. What does the pet at your house mean to you or meant to you? Text me, 2101. You're on the panel on RNZ National. I really wanted to talk about this. This is fascinating, and I'm noticing it. They're calling it hostile architecture, whether or not you agree. But that's what some are labelling the new design at Wellington's bus interchange. The new seating certainly looks pretty with its colourful designs, very cool. But those seats sit outside any sheltered area. So when it rains, you're sitting on the seat, you get rained on. Now people are suspecting this design wasn't selected solely for its aesthetic merit, but actually to discourage people from sleeping on the benches. So what is Hostile architecture. What are other examples? With us as principal urban designer at Stellar Projects, Stuart Niven. Kia ora, Stuart. Hi there, Wallace. How are you? I shouldn't have laughed. I was trying not to, but I take the bus <laughs> and uh, you've got... <laughs> well, when I, when I, when I yeah. had a look, at, a look at this place, they actually aren't seats that prevent you from lying on them. They're actually more stools, really. Oh. And and the problem is that, the, you know, the bus, um, the bus hub is incredibly exposed. Uh, for what all that Wellington can throw at it, which is quite a lot. <laughs> um, so um, <laughs> I, uh, they previously had some little enclosures that you could go into, um, which did protect you, and you could see the bus coming. But they seem to have been dispensed with for the uh, and, and replaced with seats and and the kind of a um, 
wishful thinking about the canopy above, which is too high and not deep enough to be able to protect you from from wind and rain. Basically. Yeah, which one would think, Stuart, if you're wanting to encourage people into public transport. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. It's just a bit weird that you'd have the seats beyond the canopy shelter. Um um, but they're saying, in their defence, they're saying, look, if you build them uh, like in the way you suggested, it would cause customer entrapment. Well, uh, yes, I, ha- I saw that. And um, there are, usually entrapment is related to something where there's only one point of entry and exit, so somebody can block you. But um, my recollection was that the, the, the previous shelters had two points of entry, which diminished that a little bit. <laughs> So, you know, with all of these things, it's, there's no absolutely right answer. But, but the key thing that, that, that I look for when I see a bit of public furniture is, does somebody really care for me? Does somebody has somebody really thought about what I'm, what I'm being invited to do, i.e. sit, lean, stand, um, uh, get dispensed with a bit of rubbish, whatever? And, and am I the most important person in that person's thinking when they've actually gone about creating that object, whatever it is? Right. Let's start with you, Mark. Um, I'm just trying to think of the hostile architecture in Newmarket. I'm trying, I'm trying to put my, I can't quite think about it. It's actually quite nice from what I can gather. What do you think about this? Uh, I've, I've yet to see a well-designed bus shelter. I don't think I've ever <laughs> seen one in my life. Um, they are often ill-thought-out and not practical. And I know there are lots of ways and things that people do things for various reasons, and one is to stop people sleeping on them and all kinds of things like that. But, no, I think we do bus shelters pretty badly. (laughs) Um, I actually can't think of one which I'd say is a good design. Very, very few I've seen. Anywhere, not even New Zealand, but anywhere. Before I go to uh, Julia, I just want to sort of say in in, in defence of uh, those who might be for it, the problem with making... Uh, urban architecture too um, customer friendly is that people will loiter, Stuart. They will linger. Yeah. They will dwell. They will sleep there. They in will words, become a words, nuisance. In other words, well, as they'd be successful, <laughs> yeah. because the whole, no. the, whole purpose, no, the whole purpose of of public furniture is to invite use. You know, that, that's 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 their intent. I mean, it's to make things a little bit easier, but it's to invite use. Certainly, seats. Um, are all about that. Tables are about that kind of thing. So um, to, to set out to purposely um, uh, make them an unpleasant experience seems to me to miss the point. Julie. It seems Julie. like very mean-spirited administration to me. Um, it doesn't sound like universal design. It doesn't sound very accessible. Stuart, I was thinking if you had um, a lot of money, unlimited budget, what would you design for a, an, an ideal bus shelter? Me? <laughs> well, mm. I'd, I'd, I'd probably provide a, a roof and some sides um, in Wellington anyway, because you have to be one side of the right of the wall when it, depending on what direction the wind's coming from. Um, and I, I think there are actually there are some examples in Wellington. The, the bus stops in Courtney Place do that pretty well, it seems to me. Um, I'm a user of those bus stops quite a lot, and uh, they do seem to protect you from the weather regardless of what it's doing. And I've never really felt um, like I was trapped and the more potentially trapped. No. Uh, quite a bit of response. People are interested in this, Stuart. Um, airport seating wallets designed so that they're uncomfortable, so passengers will get up and spend at the shops. 
Don't know about that. That sounds conspiratorial. Um, that sounds really deeply ungenerous to me. <laughs> nonetheless, Stuart, on a final note, you know, because can we take this uncomfortable, hostile thing too far? Because there is a bit of a sense of joy. I don't always like it, but you get your skateboarders. I hate skateboarding. But you get your skateboarders, and they go down the rails there, and part of me going, you know what? Good on them. They're, they're, they're being inventive. They're using architecture to the creativity. Let them live their blimmin' life. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that because it seems to me that skateboarding in the city is a really creative activity. It's extraordinary to watch. Bloody noisy, but it's extraordinary to watch. And I can't see why we can't invite invite that use and design for it rather than just try and make it design things which are inevitably damaged by that kind of activity. We might have to get you back on again, Stuart. It's caused a bit of feedback. Uh, but for, for now, kia ora. Thank you for your time. <laughs> That's uh, Stuart Niven there, Principal Urban Designer at Stella Progress. Why don't you email me, and we'll come back to it uh, in a few days. What's an example of hostile architecture um, that you have found uh, and not even getting into some of the issues, Julia, that you might have regarding getting around town? Mm, well, I'm thinking of pedestrian crossings that are painted with painted markings. They're not very useful for a blind no. person. Nine to five, the panel on RNZ National, Pet Day, April 11. It's just today to acknowledge our special someone in our life, Ralph the Bichon Frise, Fritzy the Poodle, the pet hamster that listens to your every complaint, no matter what it is. Well, Brittany the dog was a star on Barclay Men of the TV show. And the extremely proud owner is one Russell Kerr. He's with us now. Kia ora, Russell. G'day, Wallace. How are you? More, how are you? I saw your dog on the show. Um, beautiful. Tell us about Brittany. Wow. I don't know where to begin. I mean, she's the best thing ever bought, that little dog. Mm. I... Um... I'd had a few drinks, so I walked into a pet store that said small, it said chihuahua puppies, and I thought I'd never get a chihuahua. And I walked in the door and I just saw her, and there it was. And it, I've had her 14 years now, and the best thing I ever did was buy her. Oh. What's special about, about Brittany? It's like a little version of myself. She's <laughs> uncooperative, uh, untrainable. Uh, she can be bad tempered and she can be lovely at the same time. So it's like having a best friend that is sort of very much like yourself. Yeah, yeah. Mark, can you relate to this? Well, I've got at my feet as I'm talking to you, my dog curled up, uh, my toes underneath him. Uh, he is my, my best friend and he comes to work with me every day. Uh, oh. And uh, yeah, he's just a, an amazing, great dogs. This dog has just been amazing, really, really good. Actually, he's got a starring role in the latest issue of the New Market magazine, which comes out. We did a pet shoot, and he's uh, he's featured there wearing a dog collar. So yeah, he's uh, our pets are amazing. We'll come to we'll come to you, Julie, soon. But hey, Russell. Um, so what's um, what's Brittany doing now? She's at Barclay Manor um, at the moment. She's she's there during the. During the work hours, she goes every day and has done most of her life, actually. Yeah, good on you, Russell. Hey, thanks for being with us. There's Russell Kerr there, um, who's extolling the virtues of uh, Brittany the dog, being with Russell for 14 years. And with us now is Sarah. Kia ora, Sarah. Hello. Yeah, what's your story? 
Um, my sister just rang me actually and said that she's spoken to you about his pet day and was just telling you how my cat was put down this morning. He was, um, was, was a bit raw, but he was with us for about 17 or 18 years and he was a large cat with a large personality. Oh, Sarah, I'm so very sorry to hear that uh, and thank you for... Um, um, sharing this day with the panel listeners, seventeen years old, very good at stealing the neighbours' shoes. I understand dragging them over fences. Tell us about Sully. Sully was actually um, we got him when he was just a kitten. We res- rescued him. My son picked him out of a, a you know a whole lot of cats and we brought him home. And he just started bringing socks home, shoes home. Bikinis, anything it could find. It was amazing. Like adults' shoes he dragged from houses down the street. So we used to have this box at the front door, and you know, I put notes in the neighborhood scooter boxes to let them know if I'd lost anything to come and get their treasures back. Yeah. Julie, you listening to this? Yeah, I am, Sarah. Um, my heart goes out to you today. I'm, I'm just thinking about national pet day for you next year and wondering how you might remember Sully then yeah um he always had a special place in my heart because he was always there when I got home it is sorry it's okay take your time he was just always there for me he was actually my son's cat and he came to live with me about six years ago um when my Son couldn't have him anymore, and he's just such a, you know, just just always there and always purring. In fact, it was quite funny because the vet said, you know, this cat, he never went to the vet, but he had to recently because he was sick, and um, he said, it's amazing, this cat just doesn't stop purring, and he didn't. Sully. We're thinking of you. Yeah, we're thinking of you. Um, we're going to dedicate the show to Sully this afternoon. He's died, 17 years old today. Uh, finally, Sarah, you're going to have a, a remembrance ceremony tonight. You're having a, a dinner. What are you going to do? <laughs> no, um, probably nothing. I'll yeah. just remember him. Yeah. Maybe when his ashes are back, we might do something with the, you know, the kids. Remember him. But now it's funny, actually, because the neighbour's cat has decided, well, a couple of months ago, to come and live with us. So now I've got oh. another cat in my life. Sarah, thank you so much for being with us and the rest of the panel family across the country. Kia ora. Thank you. For, have a good day. That is, Sarah, and that's just uh, a reminder to us all, Mark, not Thomas, how... Um, a, a, a pet in a farm or household, uh, a pet for um, someone who's lonely, just a pet who's been always there, uh, an indispensable part of our life sometimes, huh? Oh, pet, pets are absolutely part of the family. And, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily a cat person, but I've got friends who are crazy about cats. And I'm very much a dog person. I love dogs. I love the personality. And, do- all, you know, all pets have different personalities. And uh, they add so much to your life. And, you know, uh, the fact that my dog is always so happy to see me is just it's great because you don't get that from humans. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a lovely <laughs> thing. 
Carolina says, I became a widow when I was 40 and someone gave me a companion parrot. He was a character, quickly learning all sorts of phrases, often quite risque. He was such company. We chatted all day, a wonderful anecdote, an excuse for not talking to yourself. His name was Percy, sincerely, a sunny Nelsonian. You're on the panel. You've been on the panel. Julie woods Cura from wonderful Dunedin. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Wallace, and thank you, Mark. It's been wonderful. Also, Mark, not Thomas here. Mark. I'm Wallace Chapman. I am with you tomorrow, 3.45. See you then. Stay with Checkpoint with Lisa Owen.